And uh, we're going to continue in that today. And basically what we're doing is, is we're just talking um, through um, different individuals in the Bible and just stories of them being rescued. And uh, we're doing that in correlation, also just comparing and looking at movies to help illustrate um, that. And it's been a fun series, and um, I'm just having a blast. Got to speak this last night at Newport News Campus, and it was a lot of fun being there um, and connecting with them. So this has been a great series. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about today, um, as hopefully you are. And um, we're going to jump into this thing here and uh, just see what God does today. You guys ready for it? Get three people that time. I'm just, I'm just trying, just trying, just trying to see if we get, see if we get there. All right. So, um, how many of you, uh, just even just this week, as uh, we're going through this week, um, how many of you guys? I just, I just had this question because me and Michelle laugh about it a lot. How many of you guys, you would just go ahead and say, I'm gonna admit it. I'm a borderline hoarder. I hold on to things, keep things. Right. I have a disease, a sickness. All right. Right? Okay, that, that piece of mail telling me about a cable advertisement, someday I might use that, right? So I've got a stack, right? You, okay, all right, so that's some of you people. I see, I see spouses pointing at people. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> all right, how many of you would say, I'm one of those persons, I get rid of things as fast as I can, right? All right, good stuff. You are my people. I just want you to know that, all right? Michelle and I, we are both that way, and it's fantastic. Our house is empty of things. When we were moving out here to Virginia, people were like, these are all the boxes you have? We are like, listen, if it doesn't eat, breathe, or poop, and we haven't touched it in two weeks, we don't keep it, right? <laughs> and it's just the way it is, right? And so, uh, and even sometimes with our kids, we're just like, yeah, maybe we're not going to keep them, right? <laughs> so we're just like, you know, it's debatable sometimes. And so like, if we just, if we don't see the need of it, or if it hasn't, if it has no value to us, or we haven't touched it in a long time, obviously it has no value, so we're just like, we're going to get rid of it, right? So Michelle, because of that, and honestly, it's a disease on the other side of things, right? We, Michelle does this thing called a toy roundup. Any other parents, you do this, the little toy? roundup you go through the house right and just you haven't used this in a long time it's gone right right and some of you do it you make sure your kids are there when it happens right just so you can say you haven't used this right it's a form of like cruel punishment in some way right and uh and you get joy out of it which is questionable why but we do but anyway so we go there's this toy roundup right and the kids know that it's coming when michelle walks through the house and she starts going upstairs with an empty garbage bag they know what's up right and um and so she started to walk upstairs and uh, she had the thing so the kids just like oh we need to follow mom right <laughs> so they started following mom and just walking up the stairs and uh they were going up there just to say okay hey we're, we're gonna take a part of this we do not want mom to make decisions on our own and and so most of the time we, we've tried to teach our kids like hey we're not just doing this just you know just for no reason but we just there's no need for excess right I mean you've got a ridiculous amount of stupid things that you've got from McDonald's toy boxes or like like you don't need to keep that right one you never saw that movie two we're never gonna let you see that movie three I don't even know why I let you have that anyways right and so you know, so they got these toys, and so we just start throwing things in there. And uh, one of the things that we do is there's no reason for excess, but also, too, is that the things that we do have are an opportunity for us to give to somebody else to bless them. And so we talk to our kids about that, and we walk through that and all that stuff. And, and uh, most of the time, they do it with joy, right? Um, Brayden is starting to get a little bit older, so he's, he just turned nine years old. And, and uh, just even the other day, I was talking to him about something, and uh, I was like, you know, you, you did that in the past before. And, uh, hey, our students are heading off to camp. Let's give it up for them real quick. So. Yeah, yeah. The bus is here to pick them up. That's awesome. So, uh, 
we go through and we try to, you know, just encourage them, hey, this is about being able to bless somebody else, you know, and so Braden, I was talking to him the other day about something, and, uh, and I was like, now listen, you know, and last year, you know, and he goes, dad, there's no difference, right, it's only been a year, I'm like, dude, eight to nine is a huge jump, you wait until nine to ten, it's going to be even a bigger jump, like, you just change, you just do, and he's like, I haven't changed at all. He has, right? Because normally when we do this, Braden's just like, here, mom, we can give this away. Mom, I would love for some kid to have this toy, right? Well, this time, I see him walk up the stairs with mom, right? And then all of a sudden, here, no, not that, right? And then I hear little steps coming down, little foot feet coming down the stairs, right? Coming around the corner, dad, I need you. <laughs> I'm like, what's up? Mom's giving away my toys. Dude, this is nothing new. You know what's going on. But she's giving away my Nerf gun. And I'm like, yeah, that can't happen. That can't happen. <laughs> right? And he's like, I know. And she's trying to give away the biggest one. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's not acceptable, son. We got to talk about that. And he's like, okay, thank you. <laughs> so, but it was just so funny because he started taking a possession of his things. And he started looking at it differently. Before, it was just like, hey, I can give this up. No big deal. And Rylan, who's Miss Independent, you know, and she's just normally, she just kind of watches. She's never really participated. She's like, it's happening. Can't do anything about it. So I'm just going to sit here and watch, right? But Rylan this time, she was actually participating. She's like, oh, this doll, mom. Some little girl could have this doll and it could be her best friend. I want her to have that. And she's like, she's going through and like picking out things that she still plays with. And it's like, I want to give this away because some little girl can love this. And so I was just like, we are good parents. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> oh, we're not failing. And so she's going through and doing that. And I just love a child's perspective on that. And it was just so amazing to me as I just even watched the difference that Braden, as he's getting older and mature and wiser, that his possessions and his circumstances become more inward focused. And the younger they are, the easier it is for them just to be outward focused. And they can recover from things really quickly and they can be excited about things because they can see this bigger picture that it's harder for us to see. And the older we get, the harder and harder it is for us to see this big picture and to see that we're a part of some story that's bigger than us. Or kids, it's easy for them to get that. We start talking to them. Maybe there's a moment of tears. Maybe there's a moment of frustration. There's been times when we've asked Braden to give up something or not do something that he really wanted to. He's crying, you know, and we talk him through it. And just like in an instant, you know, it's like, here's why, buddy. Here's the explanation. There's a bigger situation than you see. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And he's done, right? And you're just like, wow, that's awesome, right? You know, or maybe it might not even be that big. Maybe you're just, you're, you know, you're talking to your kid. <laughs> hey, listen, if you respond differently, there's ice cream at the end of the road. They're like, okay, cool, I got it, all right? And they can just bring things under control because they got this sense of just being able to understand and just gather. There's bigger things. There's things that matter more than just this, and they can respond differently. But for us, it becomes difficult and more difficult the older we get and the more entrenched we get in what we have. And really what happens is that there's moments and there's, there's these situations that happen throughout life that cause us to begin to ask questions. What happens is, is that there's moments that there, maybe it's a relationship or maybe it's a situation at work or, or maybe it's um, something that you enjoy. And you, you, maybe it's even what you do, your career. Maybe it's a dream that you've had. And at some point it begins to lose the appeal that it had. It begins to lose um, the draw that it had on you before, the influence that it had on you before. And what used to give you comfort and what used to give you security no longer does. 
And when you find yourself in that moment, you find yourself in that place, you begin to ask questions and you begin to look and say, why is, why am I not satisfied like I used to be? I need something more. And you start asking yourself that. That is a huge moment in our lives. Where we start to begin to feel that disproportion that's present in each and every one of us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11, it says that God's placed eternity in our hearts. In each and every one of us, whether you know it or not, God is drawing himself, drawing you to himself. He's letting you know that he is there and that there's a longing inside of you for him. And whether you can identify it as him or not, it is present in every single one of us. We can all think of a moment where we've been in a situation where something used to bring us joy and satisfaction and it no longer does. And we say, why? I'm missing something. I need something more. Right? You guys can think of a moment, right? You're starting to even think right now of those moments, right? And you're like, okay, where is he going with this? I'm getting a little bit nervous, right? We've all found ourselves in those places where there's something just lacking. And what is this more that I need? And we start to ask questions. And we start to wonder what it is. And, and today what I want to talk about is that those moments are significant moments in which God is speaking to you. And he's drawing you to himself. And to not miss that. Because a disproportion that's present, it's not the chaos of situations, and it's not all of those things. It, maybe, maybe your situation's present because of a bad decision. That could be. Maybe your situation's present because somebody else made a bad decision, and that could be. Maybe it's just life, and life sometimes is just not fun, right? Whatever the situation is, you find yourself there, and you're wanting more. What I'm telling you is, is even if it's a difficult situation, it's hurtful, it's painful, maybe it's tragic. We look at it as, why is life not moving forward? I'm missing something. But I'm just telling you, there's a bigger picture going on. And if you look at life with a different perspective, as if it's this big machine and God's got things working together. In a big clock, right? You got one wheel going this way and you got another wheel going this way. They seem to be working against each other. But in fact, they're actually working together to make things happen the way they're supposed to happen. So in those moments where you're just like, I'm missing something, there's something more that I want, what I'm challenging you today is, is to look at that, that God is speaking to you in that moment, and he's using that moment to draw you to himself in a significant way, and to not miss that moment. And when things begin to lose their, their comfort, and they begin to lose the, the security that you were able to find in them before, don't run to something else to find it. Run to God, because in that moment, Jesus is on the way. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for speaking to us. And we thank you, Father, for the opportunity we have to be together in this place. God, we thank you that you've already moved in such a powerful way. And you've already done so much. God, our hearts are already full. And God, yet we still get to jump into your living, active, true, powerful word. God, that you're just continually giving. You're a generous God. You're a loving God. And you're a patient God. God, we pray that you speak to us today, encourage us, challenge us, help us to live for you. Our eyes be set on you, our hope be found in you, our joy be found in you. And God, give us the response of a child that says, God, I can't believe I'm a part of this big picture. And with joy, God, may we throw everything in. Lord, we love you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. So the movie I'm going to be using today is Jerry Maguire. That's going to be the movie I'm using today. And before you start judging me... I just want you to know I'm using the TBS version of this movie, all right? So it is PG-13, just so you know, all right? If you think any of I'm sorry. 
Uh, maybe the next time my parents are here, you can say, why didn't you raise them better? All right, just talk to them or whatever else. But this is a great movie. It's probably one of the most quoted movies. Uh, I was blown with Michelle and I. We were sitting there talking, and I was like, dude, that movie came out in 1996. Can you believe that? Uh, how old the movie's got? I can't be getting that old. So, but anyway, so this is a great movie. And this is a movie that just best illustrates exactly what I'm talking about. Jerry Maguire is a, a, a sports agent who's on the top. He's got the top athletes that he's representing, and he's making buku bucks, and all these things are going great, and, and everything's happening, but he has one of those moments where there's this sense of disproportion, where something, he's, he realizes he's a part of something bigger, but he can't figure out what it is. And all the things that brought him satisfaction and joy in the past and all the things that brought him success and all of those things, they just, they mean nothing. And in fact, he looks at them and says, you know what? He starts off the movie with, I hate myself. No, I hate my place in this world. Right? He's not satisfied and he sees his, he's his sense that I'm, I'm supposed to be a part of something bigger and, and this stuff just doesn't fit anymore and I don't know what it is and I'm not satisfied. So he writes this mission statement and he starts talking in this mission statement it stays up all night and he goes and he prints it and gives it to all of his colleagues at this conference that they're at about how they should change their industry and, and how they should stop focusing on trying to get the most amount of people so they can get the most amount of money but they should focus on a fewer number of people so they can get less money but yet in the grand scheme of things be more satisfied and so he starts talking about all this different stuff and so he writes this mission statement and he's like yeah and everybody's cheering for him right and there's like way to go way to go but they're secretly judging him and one guy's just like I give him two weeks right and they're just like you know just like all this stuff but there's a sense of disproportion in his life and and something happened in him that caused him to feel this way and to sense this difference and what it was for him is, is he said that he was talking to a hockey player's kid. And the hockey player's kid made him feel like a self-righteous jerk. And so he went and ate two bad pieces of pizza, went to bed, and grew a conscience. That's what changed for him. That was the something that happened for him. Dorothy, the girl that he ends up falling in love with, and what a lot of people feel is one of the most romantic movies and the stories about their love. Really, it's not about a man becoming who he's supposed to be in the world and, you know, realizing his dreams and all this. Anyways, so Dorothy, she leaves her job, and she goes to work with him and start this agency because she wanted to feel inspired. She felt uninspired in her job. She felt like nothing was happening, and she just wanted to be inspired. She felt that where she was wasn't where she should have been. And something drove her to say, what is it? And I'm searching for something. She just wanted to be inspired. What are those somethings for you and I? It could be curiosity. It could be fear. It could be hope. It could be doubt. It could be affection. It could be sympathy. But there's moments where something happens and it moves us to want to do something else, to be a part of something different. I know in my own life, there's been moments where something big happens, and I'm just like, wow, and I start asking these dangerous questions, and I go out, and I end up doing something different, and I, I walk away from jobs, or I leave different situations, or I leave friendships, because I just, I want to be a part of something bigger. I don't just want to be where I'm at. And so today, what we're going to be talking about is a guy who did the very same thing, and his name is Zacchaeus. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles there, we're going to be there uh, for a good while in Luke chapter 19 and 18. If you got Luke chapter 19 open in your Bibles or you're ready to read it up on the glowing Bible up here on the wall, say, uh-huh. Uh -huh. All right. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. 
There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region, and he became very rich. He tried to get a good look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. We're all my short people out in the room, right? Nobody ever cheers for themselves in that moment. It's okay. Short people are good people. That's all I'm going to say. You're always taller than somebody somewhere. And no matter how tall you are, you're always shorter than somebody somewhere. We're all even. <laughs> so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name and said, Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. Ain't that the way it is in church? Somebody's excited, somebody's going to be mad. People were displeased. He has gone to the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Verse 8, meanwhile Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor. And if I cheated people on the taxes, I will give them back four times as much. And many people said, Amen. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. My first point today in the illustration that we're going to be looking at today with Zacchaeus makes this point clear, is that when it comes to Jesus, we have our reasons and he has his plan. We have our reasons and he has his plan. Zacchaeus' reason of going to see Jesus and to climb this tree so that he can get a better look at him is because he was curious. See, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. What does that mean in this time? We don't like the IRS. Even recently just went up to Washington, D.C. I drove by the Internal Revenue Service building, and a number of things went through my mind. <laughs> None of them pleasant, but I kept silent anyways. But somebody in the back of the car, they weren't as spiritual as me. They're like, oh, those people, right? <laughs> Taxes are something that's difficult for us. This time, the Romans had control and rule over Israel, and the Romans were imposing their taxes on people as a means of power and control, to show their dominance and to keep control of the people. They kept them defeated, and if they became successful, they taxed them higher, they took more, so that Rome could keep the control of the people. Rome had different individuals that were over each province, and so they would make that person a Roman citizen, a Roman officer over that province to collect the taxes. They didn't like being the bad guy, they didn't like being hated, so they would go and find somebody that was the people and was from the people, and they would ask them to collect the taxes. They would get a group of people together and say, whoever's the sleaziest and whoever's the dirtiest and whoever's willing to give me the most amount of money and make whatever money you want for yourself, I want you. Zacchaeus was that man. Zacchaeus, a Jew, turned on his own people, and he ended up going in and taking taxes from people. Zacchaeus was a great extortionist. He didn't walk around himself and say, you know what, give me your taxes. What he did is, is he got an army, right? He knew what the Romans wanted as far as tax, and then on top of that, he took whatever he wanted, right? So he would tell his little minions, you go out, you're going to take this much, and then when you take this much, I'm going to get this much, and then we're going to send Rome whatever they want. And so whatever Zacchaeus decided he wanted to take, he would take, and as much money as he wanted, he would get Right? The very thing that caused him to be hated by the people, right? 
was the very thing that he started to do more of because that was just the way that he could control power and keep people from doing something against him because he was the man with the money, he was the man that was in control, and he was the man that reported to Rome. This dude was not liked. He was not liked at all. Nobody enjoyed being around him. Not only was he super wealthy and they were super poor, but he was destroying them. He was oppressing them, right? He was one of them, but he turned his back on them to help oppress the Romans, to oppress them even further, right? He was not liked. He would be, in modern times, he would be compared to a pimp in our culture. I mean, exploiting people for his own gain and his own cause, right? You don't sit down next to somebody, hey, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pimp. And go, well, that's cool, right? And somebody says, hey, I'm a pimp. You go, 911, right? <laughs> right? He was hated. He was looked down upon. That's not something that anybody enjoyed, respected, or cared for at all. In fact, they did not like him. Zacchaeus was a lonely man. Zacchaeus probably, other than his minions who supported him because they got wealthy off of him, that's all he had. Zacchaeus was a very wealthy man, but he was not a very liked man. So Jesus comes into Jericho. Jesus is actually walking through Jericho. His intention is just to pass through it because he's on his way to Jerusalem. If you look at the timeline of things, he's actually on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. So Jesus knows this, and he's getting ready to give his life and sacrifice himself on the cross. So he's making his way through Jericho just to go through the town. That's how you get there, to be crucified. Jesus is coming in, so we're at the end of Jesus' ministry. He's already made a lot of the religious people pretty upset, so anywhere he goes, it's known that he's going to be there. Tension's pretty high. The religious leaders are at the highest point of that they are of being able to try to find a way to capture him and end up killing him. They are angry at him. Tension is high between Jesus and the religious Jews. The crowds are massive because they hear of all the things that he's done. You ever been in a place where somebody starts just throwing out money? Do people respond rationally? No, right? So you walk into, Jesus walks in and he can miraculously to heal, he can miraculously to do these things. People are pressing, they're pushing, right? They're going against each other. And think about it in this time, in this culture. They did not understand what the personal bubble was, right? How many of you got a personal bubble, right? Personal bubble, you're like three feet, right? Don't get within that three feet. If I can smell your breath, you're inside my bubble. And that's not acceptable. If you have exceptional breath, I got a bigger bubble for you, right? So you're just like this. That's me, right? So you got your bubble. Some people, you don't have a bubble. You're a blessed person, right? But others, we got a bubble. They did not have bubbles. They were constantly in each other's faces. They were constantly present against each other. There, right? They didn't shower, right? Very often, right? They just poured more oil on. It was hot. It was dirty. The roads are crowded. People are crazy. I mean, this is what's going on. There's tension between the Jews and Jesus. There's all kinds of stuff happening. There's people wanting something from Jesus, and they're trying to get it from Jesus. It's getting crazy. Then Jesus makes it even crazier. He kicks the hornet's nest and heals a blind man, right? And then everybody's like, I want that. And the Jewish leader's like, oh, what is this guy doing, right? Because they don't know what to do And it's just maddening them And it's just tense It's crazy And then you got Zacchaeus This guy that no one likes, right? He's got his own situations He walks into a place Nobody's like, hey dude, what's up? When he walks into a place They're just like, oh, let's go the other way Let's not talk to the guy You've got all of this insanity happening All of this tension taking place Jesus walking to be crucified God knows how much is on his mind And on his heart And all the things that are taking place He's walking through this intense crowd Things are tough and difficult And Zacchaeus has no way to get in can't see over them so he climbs up a tree to see Jesus 
Jesus is walking in amidst all of this and looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. And he looks him in his eyes. He says, Zacchaeus was curious. Who is this man? This man that has no wealth? This man that has no job? This man that, that many people don't like because he speaks against them, but yet thousands follow him and love him and adore him? What does this man have that I don't have? How does this man have the power that he has? Zacchaeus was curious, so he climbs up the tree. His curiosity is what led him to have an encounter with Christ. Jesus, in that moment, doesn't look to satisfy his curiosity. But he's got a plan for Zacchaeus. And he looks at Zacchaeus. And this is our second point for this morning. So despite our motives to see him, he calls us by name. He looks at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, I must be in your home today. Come down from that tree. He calls him by name. Zacchaeus, being a hated man, it's probably been a long time since he's been called by his name in, with kindness and tenderness behind the voice. Oftentimes, I'm sure his name's been yelled as a profanity. His name's been used it just as, as, as a way to ridicule people or judge people. His name's been used in harshness. When everybody says his name, they say it with hatred and tension behind their voice. And Jesus looks at Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus looks at Jesus, and Jesus doesn't respond with harshness as he's probably expecting. As a Jew, he's probably been talked to by many pastors and by many Jewish leaders. Hey, Zacchaeus, you got to stop doing this. Zacchaeus, you're a jerk. Zacchaeus, nobody likes you, and don't forget you're short, right? And all these people are saying things to him, and Zacchaeus has never had anything kind said to him, and especially from religious leaders. They've probably been the harshest to him. So here's this religious leader with thousands of people in this intense dynamic situation with all kinds of stuff going on and this man looks him in the eyes and he goes oh shoot it's getting ready to happen he's getting ready to rip into me and Jesus says Zacchaeus I must be in your house today come down out of that tree he hears kindness and he hears love he hears affection he hears those things and listen it's the same for you and I that when we have a chance to encounter Jesus, when we're in those moments of disproportion, where we feel like life is working against us, and we feel like things are happening that we don't understand, and we feel like we're not comfortable anymore, and we're not secure anymore, and our doubt is overwhelming us, or we feel like we need to do something different, or situations need to change, in those moments, God is drawing us close to himself. He is on his way, and he's looking to you to call you by name and say, I want to be in relationship with you. Not only do I want to be in relationship with you, but I'm calling you by name and kindness and tenderness as a father. Because I want you to know that I have authority in your life. I've got authority in your life. I've got authority to speak to your situations. I've got authority to fix your situations. I've got authority to say what is and not what you see. He's got a desire and a passion and a commitment to say I'm saying your name as a promise of affection. I want to be in relationship with you. I want to connect with you. I want to know you, Zacchaeus. I must be in your house today because I want to know you. I want to do life with you. He does the same thing with you and I. When he comes in our situations, he calls us by name because he knows us personally. Zacchaeus' name in Hebrew, it means pure. It would be completely contrary to who he was in that moment. 
He was not a pure person. There was nothing pure about him. But when Jesus looked at him, Jesus didn't see who he was, but Jesus saw who he could be through him. When he looked at Zacchaeus, he didn't say, hey, you know what, Zacchaeus, I see who you are and I see all the things that you need to fix. He said, I know who you are and I'm calling out of you what you can be because I'm giving everything I've got so you can be that. When he calls us by name, he does the same thing. I know who you are and I know who you can be through me. I'm speaking to that. I'm speaking to that situation. I'm speaking to the things deep within you that you're longing to come true, that you want to be a reality. I see that that and I'm speaking to that this week Braden was in uh in the bathroom and we were telling him to brush his teeth and floss he's a big boy now so we tell him to do that on his own because we hate doing it <laughs> but he's got permanent teeth now right because Riley and hers are gonna fall out so who cares right eat a candy bar go to bed right they're gonna fall out but his are permanent so we gotta take care of them I'm gonna do a I'm doing a parenting class by the way here soon so <laughs> So we're telling him to brush his teeth and floss, and so he came down, and he was like, Mom, I'm done, and he's like smiling with his two big teeth hanging out, and there's like a big black chunk just right in the middle of his teeth. And Michelle's like, did you floss, son? And he's just like, yes, <laughs> you know, and she's like, no, you did not. So she's like, come on upstairs, so she takes the floss, and so she starts flossing like a hygienist would, right, just, <clears throat> right, and just going in there, and he's just crying, and I'm downstairs just laughing, right, and then I just hear this conversation going on back and forth, and she's like, son, do you want to have messed up teeth? Do you want to go through life and not be able to eat normal foods, and do you want people to look at your teeth when they're talking? Do you want messed up? Do you want them falling out? Do you want dentures? Is that what you want, son? And, he, and she goes, all you care about is how I look. That's all you care about. You don't care about me. And she's like, son, that's not true at all. I know what's best for you, and I'm trying to show you that. And I'm trying to show you that if you care for yourself and you do what I say, things are going to be different for you. Man, so many times when we encounter God and we're in those moments and those situations, when we look at God and we feel his presence and we feel his gaze where he's turning towards us, instead of saying he loves me, instead of saying he's going to speak to me with kindness, he's going to call out what's best in me, we look at him and we start to cower away. He's going to judge me. He's going to hurt me. He's going to speak against me. He's going to, he's, we start pulling away and we start pulling into ourselves and we start finding our own reasons to be different. We start finding our own reasons for security. We start finding our own reasons to hope. Because we start looking at ourselves, and we don't look at him as the Father, the loving Lord, merciful God that he is. Listen, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, right? For God so loved the world. Listen, until you can see that as a personal verse. And until you can see Jesus speaking that verse to you, and until you can read that verse and know when you read that verse that he's saying your name, you will never understand the depth of God's love for you. You need to read that verse with a personal inflection. When you read that verse, for God so loved you, and put your name in there. For God so loved you, Nathan. For God so loved you, Stacia. For God so loved you, Ryan. For God so loved you, John. For God so loved you, James, for God so loved me that he came and gave himself, that I will not perish, but I will have everlasting life.
Juan, if you can see that he came to seek and save the lost, that he didn't just come to fix your problems, he didn't just come to put a band-aid on things, but that he came to call you, and he came to be in relationship with you so that you could know the creator of this universe, walk with him, know life, and know life abundantly. That's what Jesus has come to do, and he calls us by name. Not only do we sometimes feel like in the moment and situation that we cower instead of looking at God with kindness and openness, but we feel like God doesn't even notice us. And then the power of this story, I mean, you think about all that's taking place and all that's happening, all the tension that's present, all the different things that are happening, the thousands of people, the voices, the noises, the smells, all of the things that are present. Jesus going to be crucified, knowing the eternal difference that's getting ready to happen, not just the own pain and suffering that he's going to have, but just truly everything that he's planned and hoped for, his purpose and his reason is getting ready to be fulfilled and come to fruition. And all of that is happening in this moment, and he notices God is never too busy for you. God is not distracted. God's not waiting. God's drawing you. And there's going to be moments and there's going to be times where there's things happening in your life. Difficulties. There's going to be situations that have happened that cause you to begin to ask questions. Maybe it's a moment of empathy. Maybe it's a moment of affection that causes you to ask something of yourself. Why am I here? Why am I doing this? What am I supposed to be doing? That's a moment in which Jesus is calling your name. Because it's a reason for you to come to him. And we've got our reasons, but he got, we, he's got his plan. And his plan is to extend and show you and embrace you and to overwhelm you with his love. He calls you by name because he knows you and he wants to love you. One of the amazing things as you look at this, you go to back, to back to Luke chapter 18, verse 17. Jesus says that no one can inherit the kingdom of God unless they embrace it like a child. And then he goes straight on from that verse, verse 17, he says that in verse 18, he starts telling a parable about a rich man who wanted the kingdom of God but was unwilling to do what was necessary. Then he goes straight from that into healing a blind man and encountering Zacchaeus. I think there's a principle for us to gather real quick. Our response in these moments of disproportion, our response in these moments where we say it's not about what I can do, but it's about what Jesus has done, and our willingness to embrace that with joy determines our outcome. If you're in a situation where you see things difficult and you're just going through it and you feel like you're just pulling an elephant through the mud and you're like, why is this happening? Respond to the situation with joy. Because just like we sung about today, we have victory in Jesus. And so if he's given us the elephant to drag, let's drag it, let's do it with joy because he's doing something in us that needs to happen. Right? And we're not doing it alone. We're doing it there with him. He's walking alongside us. He's loving us. He's encouraging us. And he's going to help us in our situations. If we can see that and respond with joy, that becomes the carpool lane that we get in that we can fly down the road on. But instead, if we want to, we can look at the carpool lane and say, those jerks, 
and sit down there on 95 for four hours and just grumble in our situation. Let's get in the carpool lane and say, Jesus has done it. He's won the battle. He's won the victory. And he didn't just do it in some carpe diem, just some guy that's like, well, I hope somebody gets it. But he did it for me. And he did it because he loves me. And he wants to be in relationship with me. And because he wants to be in relationship with you. And he doesn't want you walking through difficulties and trials on your own. He wants to walk alongside you in those. He doesn't want you to allow fear to determine your outcome in life. He doesn't want you to have worry dictating to you what you do and don't do. He wants you to experience his love and his love, his victory, his life to determine what you do, how you do it, when you do it, where you do it, and to see his love in all of it. That's what he wants for you and that's the abundant life that he has because he calls us by name and he uses our situations and our moments to open our eyes to that. So if the worship team can make their way up. The last point on this is is that the repercussion of a repentant heart is restitution. Man, when you encounter Jesus, when you truly encounter him and all of his fullness and all of his grace and all of his mercy, when you're overwhelmed by Jesus and you're expecting you're in this moment and you're curious and you're like, oh, what's going on? What's happening? Jesus looks at your situation. He says, Zacchaeus, you're not curious. You're not curious about what's going on. Ryan, you're not curious about what's happening in this moment. You're wanting me. You're wanting me. I'm going to look past your curiosity. I'm going to use that, but I'm going to look past it and see what's really there. You need me, or you need more of me. That's what you really need. And when he gives that to you, and you get it, and you respond and say, yes, that's what I need. I want you. You embrace his grace and you receive his grace because he's a generous God who lavishes his love on you. You can't help but begin to give out that grace. Listen, when your heart's been changed by Jesus, you can't help but tell people about Jesus. You can't help but to scream from the rooftops for what Jesus is doing in your life. When you start having conversations, somehow, everybody's always like, Jamie, your conversation always ends up about being Jesus somehow. Yeah, because he's everything. He's everything to me, and I know he can be everything to you. It sounds simple, but I'm telling you, it is what it is. And he is everything. When you receive grace, you can't help but give grace. And you don't give grace just reluctantly, but you give it in the way in which you received it, which is abundantly. Zacchaeus, in an instant, went from being one of the most hated men, most looked down men in his town, and in a moment, in an instant, he encountered Jesus. He was changed, and he instantly became the most loved man. He went from, I'm going to take your college funds. I'm going to take your house away from you to being the man that says, you know what? I'm going to send your kids to college, and I'm going to send them in each of their own BMWs. That's what I'm going to do because I just encountered Jesus, and I just can't help but give, give, give because he's given to me because he noticed me he saw me where I was and he saw what I needed and he gave me that he gave me himself he gave everything man when we encounter Jesus and we encounter his love I'm telling you you're looking at your situations and you look at your home and I just I wish I wish that our home could be restored I wish there could be restitution I wish I could fix something. 
You can't, you can't until Jesus fixes in you what needs to be fixed and you don't see you, you don't see your failures, you don't see your successes, you don't see your pride, you don't see your fear, but instead you see Jesus. And when that happens, you can do it. You can see victory in all of your battles because you're not giving yourself, you're not giving some idea, you're giving Jesus, which is the answer to all things. You can see restitution in every area of your life. You can fix problems. You can see marriages restored. You can see children coming to know Jesus. You can see a relationship with your kids happen. You can see all kinds of things happen when you say, Jesus is my everything, and I'm going to give Jesus to my everything. Restitution is not only possible, it is the result of a repentant heart. The best we can tell in church history, Zacchaeus was actually ordained by Peter to be a bishop of the church in Caesarea. Zacchaeus was changed in an instant because he encountered Jesus Christ. He lived his life differently. He went on and lived a great life and church history even says that he just died a peaceful death. He went from being a man who was trying to find success and trying to find meaning and wealth to being dissatisfied with that, to finding everything in Jesus and giving everything that he's got and spending his life telling people about Jesus and dying in peace. A leader of the church, spreading the gospel around this world. Real quick on this before we pray. This probably could be the most important thing that we talk about in this moment. When Jesus said to Zacchaeus, I must be in your house today. That must would have gone unfulfilled if Zacchaeus didn't get out of the tree. Today, Jesus is calling you by name. And he's saying, I must come in your house today. I must come in your heart. I must come in your life. I must come into every situation today. Your response is to not, I fix this, or I got to do this, or I got to have this conversation. Your response is, yes, that's what I need, is you. So if you're far from God today, you don't have a relationship with God, you don't know who Jesus Christ is today, know that Jesus has come to save you. He's come to rescue you. And each one of us, we know deep down, don't argue with it, you know that you need to be saved from something. That something is yourself. That something is your sin. That something has been solved. It's been fixed in Jesus. And today, you don't have to do anything else other than say, he's calling me by name and I'm his. I'm throwing my arms open, I'm running out of that tree, and I'm going into his arms. And today, if you have a relationship with God, God is calling you by name, and he's saying, stop looking at your situations, stop looking at your circumstances, stop looking at all that's happening, and look to me. I'm saying your name, come on, I do this with my kids, eyeballs, come on, right now, eyeballs. Focus in on me, and when we do that, things change conversations happen quicker. We move to the place that we're supposed to be. Jesus is saying, come on, look at my eyeballs. I want to do life with you. I want to walk with you. And I'm looking at your situation. You're looking at things the wrong way. You're not just curious. You're not just fearful. You're not just full of pride. You want more of me. You need more of me. And I'm saying I'm here. So throw your arms open, run down the tree, and run into his arms because he's here for you today. Father, I just pray.
in this moment for each and every one of us. There's not a person in this room, including myself, that this message is not for. God, you've come to seek and save the lost. And those of us that have known you our entire lives, those of you that are living for you, those of us that are actively living for you, God, I pray that in this moment you give us a deeper realization of what you rescued us from. God, that you give us a deeper realization that you personally, intimately, deeply love us. That you know my name, you know the hairs on my head as they even get fewer and fewer. You know that, God. You know who I am, you know the dreams, you know my my fears, my doubts, my worries. You look past all of that and you see what I can be because you gave your all for me to be that. God, I pray that I live my life full out for you. God, that I remember and be full thankful and aware of your presence and of your love. And God, I pray for those in this room in the next moment as we take a moment to sing the song, to worship you, to lift our voice to you. That if they don't know you, God, that they hear that in this moment, they're not here by happen chance, they're not just here by some crazy circumstance. God, this is a moment that you've designed and you're calling their name. God, I pray that you give them the faith and the strength to say, Jesus, you're everything I need. God, that we all respond with joy. We run into the things that you have for us. In the name of Jesus.